1: Post resurrection, we find four things, four great things a risen Savior shares with us. Join us here in John, chapter 20, with today's broadcast of Truth for Today. Here in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22, Jesus gives to us four great things. He shares with us these things, and over the next two programs, we'll take a look at them. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Welcome to the program. Won't you join us? Our message is simply entitled, Four Great Things A Risen Savior Shares With Us. Here's our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, with today's broadcast.
2: John 20. Jesus said to them again, Peace with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold withhold forgiveness from any, It is withheld. Two very difficult verses to understand. What do they mean? What do they mean? Receive the Spirit. What did that mean? Did they? To go, forgive, remit sins, and they shall be forgiven. That's pretty powerful. What does the verse? A lot of folks say, I don't believe it. What does the verse mean? Say, I don't get the privilege of dodging difficult verses. You do. You just keep going. I got to deal with them, because I'm not a dodger. I deal with it. I got to deal with it. What does it mean? What does his interpretation? So we want to look at four great things Christ offered in this upper room. He's already shown himself to uh, Mary, and some of the women uh, saw Jesus risen. But it was Mary that went back, and Peter and John ran to the tomb. And so he has made that appearance. But now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples are locked away in this room, scared to death, that if what they did to their master and leader, if they can pull that off, surely none of them are exempt from being killed in like manner. And they were right. They could be killed just at the command of the Jewish authorities. They could work it out. So these men, they know their lives are on the line. They're scared. They fled Christ. that They've hid uh, their washouts from our perspective. Where were you? You didn't stand with him in the time of his trial. Right. Where are you now? We're scared to death. In an upper room, the doors are locked, and we don't know what's going to happen next. So we're in a trembling, scared mode. Christ appears to them. And there's four things I see that he gives in them, to them. There's interesting, there's probably five great commissions in the Gospels. Matthew 28, go to all the nations, commands them. Mark, go, preach to the nations. Luke, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power, then go to the nations. This chapter right here, as I have been sent by the Father, so I send you, is often called the Great Commission in John's Gospel. Acts 1, stay in Jerusalem, be filled with the Spirit, go to Judea, Jerusalem, go. Five Great Commissions. This is John's Great Commission. But there's four things I pick up in this little brief section when he talked to them. The first thing was peace. He, uh, it was a common expression, shalom, alechum. Peace be unto you. Very common, very common. But it's interesting that he repeats this twice in this upper room to scared men, trembling men. And I think it's much more than just the oriental greeting, peace. Now all of Paul's epistles open with this, may grace and peace be yours in the Lord Jesus. The first thing the risen Messiah says to them, peace. Now let me ask you this. If you had failed to obey your parents, if you had failed in an assignment, if you had fled someone uh, in the hour of their need and you got out of there because you're trying to save your neck, what do you think the first thing they would say to you once you saw them? Where were you? Good answer. Where were you? Uh, uh, How about a lecture on being cowards? How about upbraiding them for you wimps? You think I could build anything with men like you? You think I can build a church with guys that bail out? We've already seen your bailout ability. My dad called them drag up artists. With iron workers, if a guy was sent out of the hall to a job, if he got to the job and saw it was going to be hard and dirty and dangerous, guess what? He'd go back to the hall. I don't want that job. I want a better, easier job. They called him drag up artist. Give me my subsistence for showing up, but I'm not no way. I want an easy one. So what would you expect to hear? Peace is the last word. But guess what? A resurrected Christ comes to his own. There's no lecture, there's no no upbraiding. He just gives them the thing they need the most. Peace. And peace from Christ, he is the source of peace. There's two kinds of peace for the believer. Peace with God. And that's ultimately what Christ is, just one. I've gone to the cross. It is finished. I paid for the debt. I've been glorified. I've risen. I've pleased the Father about you men and all your failures. I want to come and tell you, I brought you peace. Let me say this. He's going to go on to tell them to represent him. But you can never represent a God that you're a wreck about. It's hard to go to the world and offer a peace that you're not experiencing. Has Christ brought you peace? Are you a person at peace in your own spirit? There's peace with God by faith in Christ. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God true. The the enmity's ended. The war's ended. Uh, The personal rifts are ended. We've been reconciled in Christ. Then there's the peace of God. Stop worrying. Stop fretting. Get where you can enjoy the peace of God by casting it on God and be a person at peace. And I think this is the great challenge we must take to the world. Have we met anyone that has brought us peace? Are you at peace with God? Have you you met anyone that has ended this rift between you and God? So you have this assurance. I know God. Nothing stands between. It is well with my soul. And two, I'm not fretting about the rent, about the dog, about the wife, about the mother-in-law, about all the debts. I'm at peace because I'm trusting in God who has everything under control. So I'm at peace within my own being. I'm sorry to say, being a pastor, I've met some Christians that are nervous wrecks. And they're fretters. They're always fretting about something. And I thought, could I ever get any good news out of them? Could they ever bear good news? Well, they couldn't because they haven't got any yet for themselves. Are you at peace he says, I come and I say peace. Twice I want to say it. Peace. Don't be afraid. I, I did exactly what I said. I'm alive. I'm not afraid of the Roman government. They can never touch me again. I can handle the church. I want to build the church. There is peace with God. When I am afraid, I was reading Psalms 56.3 today. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Peace with God. That's a wonderful thing peace with God. You know, when I got saved, I was on 15th and Cutting at the little church we went to, and when we drove home, we lived in San Pablo. That night, we would drive down through, we had to, we would go down, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the street now, used to be 10th Street, to get over to Cutting, and we'd always pass there, McDonald and 10th, and there was Hotel Don, and I never forget that night, coming home, the only word I could have used to describe how I felt was peace with God. My sins were forgiven. I had received Christ that night. I was a scared boy. I was afraid of World War Three, we were at the Suez Canal. I thought we were going to see Armageddon. And Russia was there with Egypt and uh, the United States with Israel. And it's one of these duels any moment. You know, I'm thinking atomic warfare. I'm a scared kid. I think it's, it's over and I know I'm going to go to hell. That night when I received Christ, when I came home, I thought, push all the buttons you want. I'm at peace with God. Push all the buttons you want. I'm at peace with God. And every day that I've struggled with worry, I've been amazed now that I've lived a few years, how many of my worries never happened. And how many of them I've been delivered from. Just by trusting God. He goes on and he says something that's remarkable here. What does it mean? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What does that mean? As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. I'd call this the Great Commission or the Great Mission. Uh, Let's think about that. uh, why did Jesus leave heaven? The Father was sending him to the world. He wasn't sending him to hold a Bible conference for a bunch of angels. He was sending him to a hostile world that the Father knew would crucify him, that he would not go back to heaven like he came. He'd go back with scars, wounds, crucified. I am sending the son. And how did the son come? He came in complete obedience to his father. He did the will of the father. He went to the cross. He, he could do no more in the father's will. He, he refused. He refused to not drink the cup. He said, your will be done, not mine. And so in Christ's obedience to the father, he is saying to these men, I want my mission to the world to continue, but my mission to the world will only continue through you. I'm going out of sight. I'm going back to heaven, but I am sending my church, my people, my disciples. I'm sending you to the same people who crucified me. I'm sending you to the same world that hates me. I am sending you there. Fulfill it. Obey me like I obeyed the Father. Go to the same audience as I went to. I am sending you just like the Father sent me. There's a verse that we ought to read. Let me it's First 1 Timothy 1:15. Listen to this verse. It's a beautiful summary of one of the reasons Jesus came. Listen to what it says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to have another Bible study with cranky sinners or cranky saints. He came into the world just to run in a holy club with all the believers and see who's cutting it straight. He came into the world to save sinners and every once in a while they'll save a church sinner of whom I am the foremost. Now notice, I didn't come into the world just to hold Bible studies. Some of you are all into Bible studies. Are you into sinners? Let me tell you one of my great sins. I'm always dealing with saints and not going after sinners. The biggest sinners I deal with are sitting in front of me. That's you. But you're saved. majority of you, you claim to know Christ. And this is my little world, my little platform. Anathema, in one sense. It's the sin of pastors that just preach to saints all the time. I'm in the midst of always raising budgets, putting out fires. Uh trying to save marriages, trying to get disgruntled saints to talk to each other, uh, preach the word, create another Bible study, and, and uh, hope you like the service. Oh, what a mission. What a mission. Buildings, budgets, and bodies. Where are you going to park on Sunday? Oh, we've got to raise the budget. Whoa, Jesus died for the budget, you know. That's foremost on his mind. And pretty soon I'm thinking, don't be talking to me about evangelism. I got enough to do. What are you doing? I'm dying in the church. Doing less than what he said that if the primary mission was reaching sinners, how are we doing that? How are you doing it? What's your mission? Are you on target? I just heard a lecture recently by John Ordberg, pastor of Menlo Park Press. I uh, used to be with Bill Hybels, and he gave a lecture, and he called it Mission and Shadow Mission. And it was very interesting, ambiguous at first, but as I, I kept listening to it, he, he would say this, every one of us had been given a mission by God in life. Uh, saved you for a purpose, he is designed to use you in a certain way, according to Ephesians. And, and we know some things he wants us to do, share the gospel with sinners for sure, use our giftedness to build up one another in obedience to God, whatever that mission is. And he said what we often do is we get caught up with what he called shadow mission, that is side, side ventures, distractions really, that we're off target, but we're over here and The interviewer of John says, and what might that be for you? He said, well, I've taken up golf, and I love it. It Gives me lots of diversion. Uh, I really enjoy the game. He said, I could be uh, consumed with it and, and be pouring my life over here. When I really was, this is my primary mission. Some of you don't know what your primary mission is. Some of you might, and you've gone to secondary things. And so you've lost the cutting edge. I saw this when I was a young preacher. I saw, because I was among poor churchmen, I was among poor preachers, guys that didn't make $10,000 a year. And many of them always had money schemes going. They're always figuring out ways to make money. When you're broke, money stays in your mind a lot. I said, when you're broke, you know, you got so much, you just, you know, I got more money than I've ever had. I got the kids raised. Hallelujah but we got 12 grandchildren and they know how to tap the resources. <laughs> Let me tell you. And, and you think, ooh, college tuition's over. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm suffering from mild tuition, uh, paying, paying for education. i got three kids in school now. And you get them raised and you think, "Whoa, we can hold on to some of this money. I worried the most about money when I had the least. Well, these preachers I ran with They were always thinking, because they were broke. They were in small little churches. Churches run less than 100. They're always talking about money. And as a young preacher, I would see them. And uh, this is weird. And you can talk to my wife who said I was weird. I asked God to keep me semi-broke so I wouldn't fall in love with money. And that's when I was young. (laughs) I'm kind of saying, Lord, I've revamped that a little Bring it on while you can, but but because I saw these men being distracted by the money thing, and and now I look back, they were broke, they were good men, but they got into side missions, they started dabbling into this and dabbling in that, and doing just trying to make. They had no retirement plans. They, did, they, they were they just barely making it, but it was often the thing they became known for. Oh, they've got property now. They've got this venture. They've got that venture. And, and it just, they lost the focus of their ministry. As the Father sent me, so I send you. I don't want what I went to the cross about to die. And the mission is tied up with you men. I will continue my mission through you if you'll, Obey me like I obeyed the Father. The great shame of the evangelical church is we've quit going to the world. Most of us. Let me tell you how it goes if you're a Christian. How I grew up. You get saved. And uh, then we got to get you sanctified. Got to get you holy. You can't run with anybody you ran with, you know. Got to get away from those dirty sinners that God saved you among. And for those first months when you go to them you're so obnoxious you don't know how to witness you just kind of uh, turn or burn you know and hey buddy you, you need Jesus now you're going to accept him no well i be able to be around okay thank-. and we did that I know guys that did that to their parents they just say dad you need to get saved the Hirschman boys Gregor man they were so tough on their dad they said, you need you need to get saved hey, well, I, well I don't want to get saved well uh You know, Dad, you're going to hell. Well, thank you, son. I appreciate knowing that. Uh, By the way, Dad, could I borrow a thousand? Could I borrow a thousand? Yeah, I still need money, but you're going to hell. Could you break it a little easier? See, we don't know how to witness when we first get saved. We just, boom, there we are. And then, guess what? Then you really get sanctified, and about a year, you don't have any unsafe friends, because now you're holy. I only go to church and prayer meetings honey. Who do you witness to? Witness: I've got my wife saved five times. <laughs> you, you know, Come on. I, I only run with the saints, and I'm critical of them, because they don't cut it straight enough. Or oh, you are. Well, you need to get around some hellions you need to get around some people going purity to hell and quit being so critical quit running around with the saints quit trying to straighten me out why don't you go to a man that's lost that needs mercy, that needs gospel that needs grace that needs somebody who gives a damn whether they go to hell or not what? you want me to do that? me? I want to be in the choir, honey. I want to be a deacon. What did Jesus say? First thing Jesus said to his disciples, listen to what he said. Follow me and I will make you reverends. Oh, oh fishers, fishers of men. Well, I thought i at least be a deacon, at least a bishop. By the way, how's fishing doing? Have you caught anybody lately? I said, no, you haven't been fishing. And you know what? People, they'll do this to me. They'll bring their unsaved friends here to church. And they say, Pastor, you better preach good today. <laughs> I better preach good. Yeah, I brought unsaved people with me today. Well, well, have you thought about sharing the... Oh, no, 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 that's your job. Okay. And so I'm fishing in the aquarium said, so, man, you didn't catch any today, did you? You know, this was it. You preached on divorce today, or you preached on the finance campaign. When are you fishing? And that's why churches like us die. We'll reach a certain size, and we could be dying now. You plateau, because you start living for yourself. we got enough programs in this church, you can die in the choir think you're doing God's will. And I appreciate the choir. You know I do. You can die being a Sunday school teacher. You can die being a deacon in this church. Because you've got to say, am I on mission?
1: And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you as ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855-833-9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available. Again, they're at truthfortodayradio.org.